usually when I go to a place, I don't have a return ticket. And I like to think of myself more as like, you know, like Bilbo going on an adventure, right? There's this <laughs> idea of like, I don't know what's going to happen, but like, I'll come back different. So welcome back to I'm the Villain. Um, today we're going to be talking about digital nomadism with my friend Elaine from college, um, who is currently in Shanghai, right? You're in Shanghai? Yep, yeah. Shanghai City. Yeah. Um, and so why don't we just go into it? Do you want to give the listeners a little couple sentences about who you are? Sure. Uh, I'm Elaine. I'm currently living in Shanghai. I'm a middle and high school English literature teacher. I've been teaching for like six years now in a bunch of different countries. And I'm originally from Chicago, Chinese American, uh, pretty obsessed with food, reading and travel. That's about it. Yeah, DeAndre, Elaine like publishes this um, like summary of like all of the books that she reads every year. And this year, this past year was like 110. Yeah. Right? yeah 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 so many books that's like yes 108 more books than i read I <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i have a i like to like analyze the data of it like there's enough books there that you can start to break down like what year they're published like who it's written by genres all that good stuff yeah i think i do the same thing with music yeah, I like do like a, a year, a year list of like my favorite albums and like, you know, I love when Spotify releases my wrapped data and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's exactly I saw the Spotify wrapped and I was like, I want that on the content I'm, I'm really consuming. Well, I'm surprised <laughs> that there isn't sort of a Goodreads equivalent or something, you know, is there? They, I don't know if you used it before. All of it, though, they don't they don't like have any cool metadata. I don't think there's enough Goodreads people for them to like invest in that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it's a good way. It's a really cool way of like involving people who are not like where you are. Right. I feel like part of the, I'm assuming that like, I, I'm just thinking of like from a like sort of digital nomad standpoint, the hardest part for me would just be like having to, make friends in a lot of different places and like be able to have a lot of remote friends. And I feel like that's actually kind of a good way of doing that. And it's like, such that's a, why, yeah. Like I, 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 for a while when I was stuck in Chicago during COVID, I, that was my primary form of social media. And it just gave me a lot of joy, like actually writing full book reviews and I would interact with other squatties on Goodreads as they like <laughs> my review. It was like the like nerdiest joy there was. Oh my god, that's well, so funny. All of the Goodreads content I've I've consumed is like by way of Swarthmore, actually. Like my partner who lives in who is from Swarthmore, like rep in Swarthmore, her mom like writes books and like is on Goodreads a lot for her like her books and her reviews and stuff like that. <laughs> Goodreads is a beautiful place and I feel like there's a lot of positivity and connection and you can really go crazy on a pretty long post and people will like stick with you on it. Uh, I, I don't know if you know Shanae Yoon, but she's like my biggest Goodreads fan. She will like <laughs> message me seconds after each one of my posts to like analyze. <laughs> well, does wow. she have like 
Does she have notifications turned on for you? <laughs> yeah, she does. I think she gets the notifications on her phone. <laughs> wow. Um, so do you want to like explain a little bit about like sort of like what being a digital nomad is to people who might not know and like, you know, give us your like 10 year plan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? This is kind of like we haven't talked to each other that much. And in some way is that's nice because you can just open up with questions like that. It reminds me of like talking to people on the airplane. Well, they say like, hi, how are you doing? Are you married? Are you in love? Are you going to have kids? What's your 10-year plan? Like people yeah. just jump right in. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I would say the definition of a digital nomad is someone who through technology has complete freedom over their location. And based on that definition, I am not currently a digital nomad because I'm <laughs> definitely tied down to my current school. Uh, but, you know, with teaching, I do find when I was teaching in Spain, for example, I had four months summers and for four months, you can travel quite a lot and it doesn't feel like a vacation. It feels like your life um, and being able to kind of move on a week to week or month to month basis. Like I realized that lifestyle was something I really liked. And I agree. I think loneliness is probably the like top reason why being a digital nomad is difficult on the long in the long term but i mm -hmm. found that like there are a lot of like apps and ways to meet people when you go to a city and i found that the shorter like the less time i'm there for the more motivated i actually am to like reach out and be social and then i've kept a lot of those friends that i met along the way and i think it's actually become easier and easier uh, to stay in touch with them through different means uh, okay. but yeah so yeah go on no, I was just gonna ask, like, do you feel like it's um do you feel like it's important that you travel alone or do you ever travel with people? So the biggest stretch of time I did this for, I did it completely alone. And I think it forced me to be way more social. Uh mm -hmm. I do have a friend though right now who is currently living the full digital nomad life. I think she's currently in Brazil, Rio de Janeiro. Um, and we've had plans for a while to do the digital nomad life together, because I think both of us, as we travel, have that same, the same goals and the same way of looking outward. So I think as we enter a new situation or a new space, we're not facing each other, like mentally in terms of trying to get to know each other better. We're both kind of facing outward. And what we've done when we've traveled on short two two one two weeks together we've actually ended up in different hostels every time we've traveled and we'll make friends separately and then bring them together which has kind of been cool mm -hmm. weird do you like was it intentional ending up in different hostels or like they just it worked out that way uh, we both are really impatient we're like let's go here and then we just both separately booked hostels and we were like oh i was just going to send you my hostel and you could jump into mine but we had like both had that idea separately Got it. <laughs> now it's like kind of a meme. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It works. We're always like exactly 40 minutes apart. And then we find a spot in the middle to meet. Is like digital nomadism. Like, is that a, is this like a phrase that's coined on the internet? Like, where did this come from? Um, actually, so I feel like a little disingenuous because like before this podcast, I looked it up. <laughs> so it's not like my information. So I just shit. I just looked at recently. Um, it was coined in a book called Digital Nomads written in 1997 
Uh, and it was talking about how, like, because of the advent of most of technology and how it works right now, uh, these two writers, uh, one of whom is Japanese, was basically just predicting that people would gain a new freedom and flexibility and return to a more nomadic way of living because we no longer have to be in a physical space in order to do what we do. And like, you know, this pandemic has showed that to be true for a lot of different professions. Um, but apparently the first digital nomad was back in 1987. And it was a dude who like built this like computer bike thing. And then he went around and like wrote articles on his computer and like sent them in and lived a fully nomadic life around the States for like a year. Wow. See, that's so funny that it was that they were that like forward looking in 1997, because I feel like the internet then was like, you know, not good. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like people have always wanted, like, I feel like since we've started like tying ourselves down with these like weird nine to five jobs and like fitting our, like fitting our kind of human selves into like pretty non-natural things like working out in front of a desk i feel like people have like since that has happened people have dreamed of a life of like freedom from it you know mm-hmm. like i feel like, well, like the, the thing before that was even less freedom right it was like being in a factory or something right yeah yeah i mean yeah i guess i shouldn't restrict it to like nine to five just nine to five desk jobs like yeah you know like i think that there is some sort of like inherent desire to, you know, not be tied down to this, like, this thing that doesn't really define you, you know? Yeah, I yeah, think what? freedom definitely, like, key to all of it, which is, I think, is, is interesting. Because uh, right now I feel really free in a country that is ostensibly uh, a very controlled <laughs> ostensibly place. Ostensibly not free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, but, like, you know, there's definitely a price to freedom. And I think um, COVID is an interesting way of testing kind of both systems where yeah absolutely now in some ways i'm more free because of like the extreme control they have for covid what's that like i mean i don't know like, so you've been to a lot of different countries um how is how is being in how has being in china been like as you know someone from america that you know has kind of experience on both sides of the fence shanghai is kind of like a slightly different creature people like to yeah. joke that in Shanghai, the foreigners like will turn the, the locals foreign, whereas in Beijing, <laughs> the foreigners will come and turn local. Uh, so there's a very strong expat community, and like there has been a really strong foreign influence on Shanghai since like about a century ago, uh, when there was like the eight major European countries along with America like attacked the coastal cities, and like France got Shanghai. Um, so they have like intense French influences and there's even an entire neighborhood called the French concession. Um, but then apart from that, like traveling has been incredibly easy because of technology and translation apps. I feel like it's beyond simple to move from point A to point B without a car, which is impossible to do in the States without a plane. <laughs> you know, the <laughs> high speed has made it feel like I could just like wake up on Friday morning and decide where I'm going that day. Man. <laughs> Damn, I wish we had a high speed rail. <laughs> right, so badly. <laughs> tell, tell us kind of about, like you were mentioning, like for the COVID stuff, like tell us a little bit about the, the like the difference, you know? Because like, I assume you've been back to the U.S. during the pandemic at some point, have you? Uh, so basically I was in Spain right when everything hit. Yeah. And within like a, 
48 hour period, I quit my job, uh, quit, like, you know, dropped my lease, packed all my bags and decided I would rather be trapped in Chicago in my family home rather than a tiny apartment in Madrid. Uh, so I spent a solid eight months in Chicago and my grandparents were living with us. So our entire household were, was like extra, extra careful. None of us met anybody, did anything. We got our groceries delivered. So that was a pretty intense eight months. And I, yeah, it was, took a toll on my mental health because I was going from the most extreme version of like digital nomad where um, I was using like couch surfing work away. I would have like my, my mom would tell people my daughter's traveling and they'd say, where? And she was like, I have no clue. She's in any one of these 10 countries. Right. And it, it was really like beautiful to be able to have that freedom and go whenever I want at the drop of a hat. And then the flip side of that, of being in Chicago during COVID. So now like from there transitioning to China, I'm, I'm so happy that I'm here. Uh, yeah. yeah. I know some people are living as freely as they want in the States, but I, I know a lot of it has to do with just these really like most people, like both of you are most likely just stuck with these really fraught decisions constantly um, small and big on how to live your life. Whereas here, there's no decisions to be made. The government decides for you. Mm-hmm. And in some ways that like, you know, it takes a lot of pressure off. Like there's, yeah. there's a lot of mm-hmm. responsibility. Yeah, I, I can imagine that in like a weird way of feeling freeing because, yeah, as you put it, like, you know, we're constantly, I mean, some people, it seems like some people struggle with it more than others, but like always having to think about whether this next action that we're going to take is going to like, you know, catalyze someone's death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, not great. <laughs> yeah. Or like whether you've already had COVID, when, you know, whether like, <laughs> you know, you should get tested. There, There's a lot of uh, factors. Whereas for me, I think the one of the worst possible things happened, which is like not that bad. Uh, our, my school got fully put into quarantine very unexpectedly at the drop of a hat. I showed up at 8 a.m. and by noon we were all in isolated hotel rooms and we were not told when we could leave. Um, and it was because one student's grandparent had gotten COVID and that was the response. They put like almost a thousand people into into. Uh, you know, isolated rooms, including like there were a lot of them were high schoolers. So I think that was really rough for some of those kids. And some of them didn't bring their computers with them. Uh, you know, most of us didn't have clothing with us for the first few days. Wow. Well, um, I, I mean, this might be like, I don't know if this is like a, like too political of a question, but do you, I mean, do you feel like that? Are you, do you feel like that's the way to go? Like, are you happy with that response? It's certainly the other extreme and I would be like, I'm benefiting from those actions. So it's really hard for me in this particular moment to, to really criticize that. Yeah. I feel like I've kind of like, I don't know. I've always kind of like prayed for a harsher response from the, from the, from the U S government, you know, RE COVID and like contact tracing and stuff like that. So, um, Part of me is like definitely like a large part of me is like, damn, that's sick. Like, I wish we did that. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I mean, it results in, yeah, like a more, I guess, like a more, you know, a more safe slash like COVID free country. Right. And I think that like when it comes to 
like just like people's general mental health overall. I do think that like in aggregate, ha- like having to make those decisions really weighs on you because it's the kind of like very similar to like the moral decisions around things like, you know, environmentalism and being like, oh, it's like up to the consumer to try to like consume well, as opposed to like the government just like cracking down on industries. I feel like it's like very similar to like, why should we really put the onus of this kind of like global health crisis on an individual, right? Cause like then, obviously some people are just going to be fine or, or just going to treat it like it's like nothing is happening and just like do nothing. Right. And like not wear masks and things like that. But then like, then you have to force people who are more safe to do the opposite extreme and just like never, never leave their houses ever because the government isn't going to do enough to make sure that they're not going to die. Right. Like people with disabilities, like old people, like they're just getting fucked. Yeah. I think there's, there's like, and another aspect to that, there's like the decision fatigue that drains you. But then like once you've sat and you've done your research and you've made your decision, you're just like, OK, here's where I fall. These are the decisions I'm going to make. All of a sudden, everyone who's making a different decision becomes your enemy. Mm-hmm. And I think it, you know, the decision not just tires you out, but it creates these like factions and like us them. And that is another way to expend a great deal of energy to not just say, OK, I had to decide I'm someone who's going to get vaccinated, but now I get, I'm going to be angry constantly at everyone who's not vaccinated and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Well, does the element of trust, like whether or not you trust the government to make the right decision for you basically seem that relevant given that like you you don't have a choice regardless? Um, Yeah, it does seem because like, it's hard to say like how much each action is going to impact things. So Mm -hmm. because because you know you can't control it, because you know you can't do anything, it's almost like not worth having the conversations. People aren't sitting around deciding, was this the right decision and do we trust the government? They're just like, yeah. okay, how do I deal with the impact of this thing? It's almost like a natural force, like gravity. How, you're not sitting there questioning gravity. You're just like, okay, I fell down. Now what? Mm-hmm. A, little, a little shift of gears, but do you feel like to live like a digitally nomadic lifestyle or to be able to kind of like travel as frequently as you do. I mean, is that how much like how much like money do you need to have on hand? It's like how what are the financial constraints of like living like that, you know? Uh so when I was living in Spain, I was only making about a thousand euros a month. And I was still traveling almost every single weekend. And the way I'm able to do it is A, I use something called couch surfing, where I stay at people's houses for free. And I've actually made some of my best friends through that app. Um, Basically, what you do is you type in your city, how many nights, you know, smoking, non-smoking, kids, no kids, male, female, what you're comfortable with, non-binary. And then you go through and you see who you match with, who shows up based on those filters. And they have reviews. So you can see how many people have stayed at their house, uh, what they've done, what people have said. And then you just message them. You say, hey, I'm going to be in town on this day. Can you host me? And so, and then like trains are incredibly cheap. Planes are also incredibly cheap in Europe. I flew to London from Spain for $11. And then I had a free place to stay. Uh, So I don't spend very much when I travel. And that's another reason I think I travel solo. It's much easier. I have, I'm pretty low maintenance. I'm, I'm okay if like, uh, you know, the couch surfing person craps out at the last second and I stay at a $10 hostel, uh, you know, in a room of like 12 people, it, it ends up working out every time in some mm-hmm. way or another. 
Damn, why would why would someone offer their house up for free? <laughs> like I get why I get why people want to be able to stay in places for free, but what I mean, what's I was just like, talking to someone about that. They were very distrustful. They were like, do they they gotta be there to like murder you, kidnap you, rape you? And I was just like, well the biggest reason why people host is that they want to travel or they want to meet travelers and have the kinds of conversations that they enjoy, like that, that I enjoy as well, but they don't have the time to travel. And so typically the people who couch uh, host for couch surfing are travelers who also have gone and surfed. And that's another thing, like my friend, um, one of my best friends from Vienna, I met him through couch surfing and he says that he uh, will only like host people who have also been hosts. Mm. He thinks like, mm. you know, he doesn't like it when people are just being guests all the time. It's, it's kind of also a reciprocal relationship for him. Uh, I've only been a guest. So clearly I made it past that, like, uh, filter <laughs> somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, people really like connecting. So that's, that's the main reason. And the kinds of travelers who couch surf, like come in super open. Are they, is there like a culture around it? Like, like in this, in this, you know, you know how pe- people identify as like burners or something. Like, are there people who are really like passionate about being couch surfing people? Yeah, there are. I, I've like met people in Beijing who like host couch surfing meetups like twice a week. Wow. Um, a core part of their identity. Mm-hmm. Um, I <laughs> a guy who has couch surfed in over a hundred countries. Wow. Uh, and he, wildest stories because people use it differently. Like you do run into creeps or you do run into like uh, people who you don't vibe with. Uh, and usually if you're, you've kind of got your wits about you and you're quick thinking, it just, it ends up as a funny story rather than a dangerous one. But yeah, it's, it's definitely, I think I was thinking a lot about like why someone would want to be a digital nomad. And I think one of the main reasons for me is I end up falling into these like loops and and they could be seen as like habits and like we like habits they're foundational but for me the loops involve being less uh open more closed more cynical and i think when i travel i get thrown out of that i end up turning into like a more naive version of myself i think in some ways at the end of traveling i always sound like this wide-eyed starried 18 year old who's like wow most people in the world are inherently good, but I'd like to think that the, the, the naiveness that comes from my traveling is, is bred from experience um, and not ignorance. Uh, but I, I do really think that like the majority of people, if you reach out to them and ask them for help uh, are like, want to help other people and want to connect. Mm-hmm. So, I, well, two questions. One, have you had any like shady experiences like that, that you're describing? And two is like, where are the other places that you're, that you're trying to go? Okay. Uh, I had one shady experience. Um, uh, basically I matched with someone on couch surfing, went to his house, he cooked dinner. We chatted about the Spanish civil war in Spanish for like three or four hours. I was like, this is amazing. I'm having a great time. And then there was just like a really awkward moment where he shifted and he asked if he could take my photo. And that was like the first red flag. I was like, no. Mm -hmm. And he was really surprised. Like what other girls let me take photos. And I was like, that's a very (laughs) day. 
I think I'm going to be leaving now. So I got up to leave and he like lunged in for a kiss and I'd had to do like a full back bend to avoid it. And the second that happened, I like, I made a straight beeline for the, for the door. Um, and I was just like, yeah, I'm going to peace out. I'm uncomfortable. Uh-huh. And he, he was like a 40 year old ex-military dude who was uh-huh. like pretty built. So I was like, yeah, this is not a situation I feel comfortable in anymore. But it was I, I do like I do think about like moments before that, if there were like kind of little signs or moments. And I think there were. So I think I'm, I've gotten better at reading signals as well because of that. Yeah, totally. Man, uh, yeah, I just like feel like, especially for for women who are doing a lot, a lot of solo traveling, I feel like that's like the kind of thing that you know, it's like how it's do you learn. Like yeah. I've done hitchhiking, and I've been told that's very dangerous. It is very dangerous, but again, it's just like you trust the vibe of the person. The first time I did work away, um, mm-hmm. that's another big used when I was in Italy. Um, the first time I used work away, I showed up and a guy in a van. <laughs> pulled up outside the train station to pick me up and I looked in through the window chatted with him and decided like he seems fine mm-hmm. <laughs> and jumped into the van and like we drove into the mountains mm-hmm. uh and ended up being a pretty cool like a uh, half German half Italian chef mm-hmm. and he cooked some pretty amazing food throughout mm-hmm. the weekend then I like basically was did cleaning uh because he had like a rental space upstairs and he needed someone to help him flip it between tenants. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, where are you? Where are you trying to go? Uh, my plan was to move to China for two years and travel in Asia as much as possible. But mm-hmm. right now, I can't leave the I can't leave China without coming back and doing a fourteen day quarantine. So this month, I'm hopefully traveling to Fuzhou and to Qingdao, which are both cities north and south of Shanghai. I got my driver's license last week, so nice. I'm going to try. Some road tripping, see some mountains, see some ocean. Um, and then after Asia, like if I can't really see anything for a while, I think I'm probably going to leave when my contract is up uh, next year. Uh, and I have plans to try to drive around the coast of Australia with my little sister. Wow. That's not like, like around the entire thing. That sounds like a real uh, It's a very half big plan. We just oh, want to okay. go together. <laughs> yeah. we, we, haven't planned, we haven't planned any routes yet or anything. But <laughs> how much uh, travel have you done like domestically in the U.S.? So I've done maybe like four road trips. So I lived in Philly and then Kentucky and Chicago. So I've done a lot of East Coast, Midwest and uh, kind of more in the South road trips. I did one starting in Chicago. We swung all the way down through like... Arizona, Arkansas, down through Texas, and then back up through Georgia, Louisiana, ended up in Kentucky. And then I've done a fair, I think the the area I've seen the least is probably like West Coast and like Northwest Seattle area. That's kind of next on my list. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, traveling in the States, actually, I've heard. So my friend um, Iris who's currently in Brazil. She did a bunch of couch surfing and traveling in the States. And turns out it's very possible there as well. For some reason, I like I'm less trusting. <laughs> in, in <laughs> <states>. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, I've done a couple of uh, like cross country train trips, um, mm-hmm. like on the Amtrak. And that has been that has been very cool to like see the country in, in its entirety, but not very like, you know, not very. You, you don't get to like stop and get out at every city you're in. Right. You like you're going to a destination. And uh-huh. until then, you, you can't like stop. talk to random strangers along the way. 
Um, I did on my first trip. I mean, I'm not, so this is a, a fun fact about me. I mean, I'm not very, I'm very social with my friends, not very social with strangers. I'm not very interested in talking to strangers, CPH. Um, at least I feel like maybe internationally, I would definitely be more open to it because, you know, of like looking for people that speak my language and things like that. But stateside, I know, and I never travel by myself. So, but that being that being said, on my first train trip, there was definitely a very big culture of like, I don't know, people, you're, you get on in San Francisco and you're getting off in Chicago or in DC. So like people are like, yo, I'm going to be around you for like the next four days. What's up? <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw on my, on my last train trip to Montana, um, there were definitely, uh, I definitely like observed people getting like more familiar with some of the people on the train. Mm-hmm. I didn't partake, um, mostly because of like, I don't know, COVID and like not feeling it, but, um, I think that their Amtrak is super conducive to that because there's like a little lounge car, you know, and like you go in the lounge car and like kick it and there's a bunch of tables and, you know, sometimes you have to ask to sit with somebody at a table because, you know, there aren't any free ones. And I've seen conversations birth from that as well. Yeah. I don't know why. I think, I think that's what I seek the most when I'm traveling this kind of spontaneous connection. And what I've Mm -hmm. found is um, it's hard to connect with locals unless you like live in that area for a while. So when I was living in Spain, I got to know my cokers really well. And so that, that because of that, I, I got to like get invited into like people's homes and, and really, I guess, especially in Spain, I really felt like a chameleon. Like I just fully turned into a Spanish person and I really liked that feeling. Um, but another thing that happens a lot when you meet travelers is they're, they're always from a place. So then like you can then go and visit them in their home and they will be super open. So like I met a girl in Barcelona and like a week later I was like, I met her mom and her brother in London and got to stay at her house. Uh, So there's like that level too, where people are typically not as open when they're home, but if you meet them while they're traveling, befriend them, you can sometimes get invited into their home. And there's something really special about that guest host relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel as if like part of my uh, like I I feel like a lot of the travel that I have done, I've been sort of like meh on because so much of like there, there's a, it's very easy to travel very superficially. And I feel like to get actually like in my mind, a lot of the benefit of traveling is to like meet people who are really like in another culture as opposed to just like you know, like other Americans or whatever, who are like, you know, not necessarily going to change your perspective that much, but it's like kind of hard to get into that when you're just like going to restaurants or something. Cause like, maybe you'll meet some waiters or maybe you'll like, whatever, meet some people who are working in the service industry. But like, I feel like a lot of the, the sort of awesome thing about things like workaways is that like, you're actually doing work for someone who is, you know, presumably like, you know, needs help. And so you already have some like actual exchange going on and like, you know, you get to know them a lot better. I mean, same thing with just like generally like Airbnbs and stuff like that. Right. I stayed with this woman in Tuscany who, uh, I did a work away for with, for two weeks. And she said that the last work away she did, she had been pregnant mm-hmm. and that 
the people with her were a couple who were supposed to be there to just like help around the farm, help with the kids. But somehow her husband couldn't make it home in time and she ended up having a home birth. And the couple <laughs> helped birth her child. Oh my so God. One of those unique workaway experiences. Wow. That's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. And she showed me a picture. She was like, they're near and dear to my heart, like mm-hmm. their family. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> do you feel like uh, so I don't know do you still define yourself as like a tourist or do you feel like you're something different like when you're I, like I was a lot about when, this earlier today. I don't really I feel like vacation and tourist is what you do when you buy a ticket that has a destination and a return date and you have a very clear set of places you find online and you just go to them uh, usually when I go to a place, I don't have a return ticket and I'd like to think of myself more as like, you know, like Bilbo going on an adventure, right? There's this <laughs> idea of like, I don't know what's going to happen, but like, I'll come back different. Uh, so yeah, if, if I were to pick a term, I would, I'd probably say something along the lines of explorer or adventure, but that's a little bit, I think I read a lot of like young adult fiction growing up that, uh, kind of like aligns with that mm-hmm. that desire to I guess explore even though we're in a place that feels a world that feels generally explored mm-hmm. yeah well I, I'm curious do you think that I mean I think that for for me like one thing that when we, like when we talk about the ways in which it's like really different like I feel as if for me, one thing that was really helpful, like I just moved to Philly. Right. And I think when I came here, we had a conversation lane where we were talking about how I was like, so frustrated with the fact that like, you know, it's so, it takes so long to make adult friendships. Cause it's like, you only ever see each other like once a week. And like, it's super annoying. Cause you want to just like fast track people. Um, cause like, no, I, I, I don't know, like maybe some people are in it to just like, you know, have people that can play board games with, but I feel like, you know, you really want to have at least a couple people who you can really just like trust. And yeah. I remember you said to me, you're like, Oh yeah. But like, that's like a mindset thing. Right. I feel like often when people are traveling and like, you know, are really engaged in, um, like trying to find a, a community to travel with and stuff like that, like you can like really just become friends with people over the course of like a couple of weeks or a couple of days. Right. Really felt that when I was in London, I was there for like six days and each two day period, I spent the full two days with a different person. And when you hang out with someone for 48 hours, nonstop there, there's like, you're, you're walking around a new city together. You're eating new strange foods and you're connecting it to like, things from your childhood you talk you talk about exes you talk about like the things that have shaped you as a person and when someone's trying to get their like a feel for like who are you you go and you talk about things that you might not feel comfortable sharing with some of your closest friends and I think those that kind of combination of like uh like verbal intimacy and then just like this intense beauty and openness around you it creates something long like a bond that definitely feels long lasting Mm -hmm. do you think that that partially is enabled by the fact that like you you have the option to just like never see them again (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) because like yeah i mean worst case scenario like when you say like oh things that you wouldn't tell your other friends like you know you could also just 
you know, have it be very low stakes, right? Because it's like, you know, there is the option to never see this person again. So like, who cares if they know all these things about you, right? In some ways, if you view like therapy as, like so as 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 like someone who just is there to listen without judgment then like this is a kind of form of you know therapy uh but yeah there's definitely it creates a low stakes environment but you'd be surprised there's still a lot of like social pressure just like innate like social pressure to be a pleasant human being and Mm -hmm. to like have people around you think well of you and instead i think it's more useful in terms of identity creation because you're changing so much um, you know, with what you're consuming, the conversations you're having, but when you're around the same people, they have this fixed view of who you are. So as you try to grow and change, they kind of pull you back sometimes and say, no, 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 you're this type of person and you do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you leave, these new people kind of allow you to reaffirm your identity over and over until when you go back, you have it. And there's something really powerful about that. Yeah, totally. Uh, So do you think that this is going to be the kind of thing, especially now that like there's so many more remote jobs because of the pandemic and things like that, that like, do you think basically the people who wrote that book are kind of right? Or do you think like, what do you think about that? Um, I think it involves a really intense level of energy and extroversion. I've never done it for more than four or five months at a time. Um, My friend who's doing it now, what she's finding very useful is she'll stay at a place for at least uh, 90 days. Mm -hmm. And so that creates a really different relationship with the location. Like she worked at the same hostel for three months and, you know, has developed such strong bonds that she's going to go back and spend the summer with them as well. And I, so, so I think that style is more sustainable. I also think, uh, it's, it's something I've seen couples successfully do it. Um, there's this family I follow called the bucket list family and, uh, they have three kids and are able to live a pretty nomadic existence, which is pretty cool. Um, and then like, there's a Canadian couple I met who run a hostel and they just keep changing locations about once a year. So I think there's a question of like, how often do you have to change your location to be a digital nomad? And I think ultimately, (laughs) People who have made that shift, who have made the fundamental move from I stay in one place all the time to I moved everything for to be in a place that is not fully stable. I think those are digital nomads, right? Like once you do that once, it's much easier to do that again and again. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I've I've even found just like within the pandemic and like working completely remotely that like yeah i'm on my own scale i'm much more likely to just be somewhere else for a certain amount of time you know like i'm already like feeling like the the light freedom that i've gotten from that already feels you know so like just so positive like i'll be like yeah you know maybe i'll go to the mountains and like and get an airbnb like a cabin airbnb and chill there for you know a week and i can still do that and know that i can work remotely and you know, like, I think that to me, that feels very positive. I know someone like I have a friend right now that's working for Mexico city and mm-hmm. she's like, constantly posting Instagrams about it. And that's annoying, but like, I'm happy for her. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I feel like, I, I feel like the, the thing that I, I kind of like hope happens as a result of this switch to like more remote work, at least obviously for like 
a lot of like white collar people um, is that like maybe people will go like, you know, all of this like drain that's happening from like San Francisco and places that are like really expensive to live in, like maybe a, that will allow us to have a little bit more uh, like less concentrated um, ideological hubs where like, maybe that will help us a little bit politically. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, And then also like, it would be so cool to like, I feel like currently the way society kind of like encourages you to prioritize is to be like, Oh, well you move somewhere if you have a job, but like, and and you don't super necessarily prioritize where your friends are. Right. And like, maybe this will produce a lot more people who are trying to like have their little like cul-de-sac of like all of their friends where they're all just like working remotely and that kind of thing. Um, I, I also wonder whether you think about, like one thing that I've been thinking a lot more seriously about in terms of actually cutting down on travel is like the environmental piece of it. Right. And I wonder if you think about that at all, Elaine. Yeah. Um, my, the, the guy from Vienna I mentioned recommended that I read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. Yeah. And I really hated Tim Ferriss. Okay. And I, the reasons why is because he, he sees everything from a level of like self, like what's best for me? How do I operate my life? And there's no sense of impact on other people. Uh, And I I do think a lot about, yeah, whether or not I need to be flying as much as I do. Like I am one person, like what kind of footprint am I leaving? Um, But I do think when I was taking the train a lot, And when I was living in people's houses, it didn't really, it felt like I was kind of floating around. It didn't feel like I was uh, kind of draining resources or, uh, you know, not, you know, impacting the environment around me in a negative way. I felt like I was bringing something of value, which was, you know, a different perspective, different ideas, new conversations and openness to different people. Um, And I was spending and leaving very little. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, like, Tim Ferriss does sort of also really evangelize, like, digital nomadism, right? In the four-hour work week. I haven't read it myself. Yeah, yeah. I I think the section that really pissed me off was when, like, he was all about, like, like using virtual assistants. Mm -hmm. And it was all about basically leveraging your first world uh, privileges to, like, get the most out of it. And just, it it just felt so amoral the -hmm. whole time I was and I was like, nah, this is not the kind of digital nomad I would like to be. Mm-hmm. I would like to still contribute meaningfully to the spaces around me. And that's why, like, I don't know if digital nomad is the right word for me. I am thinking about different online sources of income, like freelance writing, uh, creative writing. And one of them is I actually tried creating a, a course, <laughs> a, mm-hmm. a, like, social psychology motivation behavior course um, with my friend from Vienna called Project Limitless Life. And that was kind of, because he also wants to be a a full digital nomad. But I think ultimately I'm more into the idea of doing what my friend Iris is doing, which is living in for 90 days in each location, but like finding a job or finding a niche where I can actually contribute in some way Mm -hmm. um, and participate in the world around me. Because I think that idea of like, oh, you find a cohabitation space, you bring all your best friends with you, and then you hang out in this cheap city. It, it, yeah, it does. It doesn't feel very interactive. It feels like you're creating this bubble around you in terms of work and social life, rather than like um, opening outward. 
Elaine, thank you so much for sitting down with us. It's, you know, I'm glad we were able to make this work across like our, probably our biggest time zone difference <laughs> that we've ever worked with before. What time is it for you right now? Uh, it's probably a bit past 10 p.m. and I got work tomorrow morning. <laughs> nice. It is 9 a.m. for us. <laughs> um, Thank you for waking up. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, no worries. Um, so this is your time. Uh, is there anything that you want to plug? Wow. It's it funny. Be anything I've been you want. I've been watching the show Hot Wings and they, they always have this moment where they get to like roll out the red carpet and plug like their new mm-hmm. projects. I don't really have any new projects other than, yeah, I would say couch surfing, meet up and work away are the three apps that like have helped me the most in my travels. Damn. I feel like when you start a tech company, like that's exactly what you envision your head is going to happen. You're like, yeah, I'm going to have like this awesome impact on all of these people, blah, blah, blah. Right. And like, it's pretty wild to think that actually it seems like in, at least in these three cases, like it it actually kind of worked. Sometimes it does. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like especially with the couch surfing thing, like I feel like there are a lot of, especially I watch a lot of shark tank and I feel like I see a lot of apps that are like, I'm going to revolutionize the way people do this thing. And, you know, (laughs) oftentimes that isn't the case, but shout out to Couchsurfing. Yeah. Although they recently, about half a year ago, started charging for their services, which is really unfortunate. It used to be free. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, how did they make money before? Do they just lose money? Probably ads. I have honestly no clue because there were no ads on was just incredible. I could just open my phone and access all of these like-minded people. <laughs> they were probably selling your data then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's end on that note. They were probably selling my data. <laughs> <laughs> we learned from the social network that anytime you don't have to pay for a service, it's because you are the product. I am the product. <laughs> the social yeah. dilemma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. dilemma. By the way, that's yeah. the new podcast I've been following a lot. Uh, Tristan Harris's Undivided Attention. If I were to plug anything else, I've actually recently gotten back into podcasts. And Tristan Harris's Undivided Attention is one of my main ones right now. Nice. And as always, you can find us at I'm the villain or not dot com. <laughs> I'm the villain pod. It's early. Sorry. Um, that's our Twitter. That's our Gmail. That's our Instagram. Otherwise, bye, everyone. <laughs>